full of anger, full of fear, like we're like watering down our fences because the city is on fire. There is a military presence at coffee shop in midst of that I wrote a lullaby. And the first lullaby that I've ever written because I wanted to I just felt like my anger was not appropriate for the presence of her birth. That's Chastity Brown. I'm Jamie Green. And this is Trading Force. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Trading Force. I'm your host, Jamie Green, and I hope you're hanging in there. Chastity Brown has a new album coming out on June 17th, and it is an insightful look at America in 2022. Chastity zoomed in from her home in Minneapolis only days after the horrific shootings in Buffalo, and I'm sitting here this morning recording this open the day after the horrific shooting in Uvalde, Texas in an elementary school. Okay, I'm going to start out by saying I love America. I mean, truly love it. The 4th of July is my favorite holiday. I'm proud that my ancestors took a tremendous chance and boarded a boat and said goodbye to everything and everyone they knew and just to seek a new life. But it's possible to love America and also still be horrified by what you've seen and continue to see happening here. This is a music podcast, but it is a podcast in America with almost all American guests. When Chastity joined me on a Zoom call, I didn't know exactly where what we were going to discuss. But when the brutality of the murder of George Floyd came up, I didn't try to move the conversation elsewhere. Pretending it didn't happen doesn't make it not happen. That's as foolish as when a child closes their eyes and thinks that no one can see them since they cannot see themselves. I do not have all the answers. Far from it. But I am open to listening. Actually listening. And contemplating others' experience. And keeping my mouth shut. The things that have made America great is because of all the different cultures that have landed here and have come together. American music would not exist without the enormous contribution of African Americans. Full stop. Jazz, rock and roll, soul, and hip-hop all can be traced back to Congo Square in New Orleans. And Congo Square existed solely as the one place enslaved Africans could gather on Sundays and socialize. That's the truth. It's an ugly truth. But it is factual. Tearing it out of a history book doesn't change the fact that it happened. Out of that awfulness, the entire American musical culture was born. This is truly a phoenix rising out of the ashes. We need to acknowledge that. Hey, I'm just a middle-aged straight white guy who knows I'm really fortunate. I realize that every day. I do not feel threatened by hearing the history of our racist past, or to be frank, our current racist system. I simply feel saddened by it, and wish very much so, to be able to change it. So Chastity and I talked about some things that might make some of you a little uncomfortable. To that, I say good. Be uncomfortable. Reflect upon it. See what perhaps we can do to make it better. We hate because we can delineate between each other. We love to label in this country. Black, Hispanic, gay, straight, white, liberal, conservative. It goes on and on. 
when we label each other, it's much easier to hate because it's an us or them situation. I approach each interview with the feeling I'm getting the opportunity to chat with an amazing musician and hear more about their craft. They are fellow human beings on this incredibly small blue marble we all live on as it hurtles through space. Chastity was honest and real, and I truly appreciate that. It is only when we are all honest and real that things will improve. So it's my great privilege for us to get started with my conversation with Chastity Brown. Chastity, it's so nice to have you. I loved your album. I mean, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I know it, it's super deep too. So it's not like a surface level beautiful. It's just beautiful. And I think a good place to start was I watched your Kennedy Center performance, which was fabulous. Mm. Uh, I am so appreciative of how someone can just with their guitar. And then later on, I know you, you sat at the piano, you and a drummer. Yeah. Um, and can just emote all these great, I just it's just it's gorgeous things from this album and but I want to talk specifically because you came from the guitar over to the piano and and you talked about your niece Gertrude and yeah. so can we talk a little bit about that song is that a good way to start sure, sure. So, so I'm gonna butcher what you said so you tell me but it was it was something essentially about how children can always see through you right and uh, you have to be honest yeah so walk me through that process of writing that song um so the my niece's name is Ellie, but the title of the song is Gertrude because of the first line. You know, Gertrude Stein has that famous thing, a rose is a rose is a rose. Before I was a full-time musician, I was a landscape gardener. And if you've ever spent eight hours in a rose bed, you feel differently about roses. And so I was so intrigued as you're familiar when you're just brainstorming lines or a topic or you're just writing down little things and you're like, oh, what's that? Um, and the first line I sang while I was playing those chords was, I wish I was a summer rose. And I stopped myself because I was like, I hate roses. <laughs> and I just sat there with the song and I was like, but if I didn't could I write another line? And this was like maybe a couple of days, maybe an hour, like again, time, like you were saying a second ago, Jamie. And so I just was like in the only context that I would want to be around a rose is if it were marking a spot of something significant where the wild things grow. My niece was born a few days after George Floyd was murdered. And part of what I was saying to the audience and part of what I feel about that song, like, it feels like a gift, like, because I found myself, you know, I mean, I was full of anger, full of fear, like, we're like watering down our fences because the city is on fire. There is a military presence at coffee shops at, at all like you're just like <laughs> I have no understanding of the dynamics of citizens in Ukraine but for those few days on a on a on some sort of level of what a military presence is in daily life and in midst of that I wrote a lullaby and the first lullaby that I've ever written because I wanted to, what I, 
I just felt like my anger was not appropriate for the presence of her birth. Like, I just did not want to bring that around a new mother and a baby. Um, and so the song started coming out and I, I didn't know it was going to be like, after I finished writing it, I was like, I think this is for Ellie, like my niece. Like, I think this is like, you know, I ended up recording it. Um, my girlfriend and her family, um, have property in Northern Wisconsin And at the time, my sister-in-law and her daughter, um, they were in Boston. And so I recorded it on their family property in the woods. So that's why you hear all the, like in the recording, you hear the birds and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I was, I was going to ask if that was canned in, but it's, it's the actual thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, my engineer was like, can you please just come in the studio and sing this part? And I was like, no. I like I set up my iPad and my iPhone and I sang into an amp and played those that keyboard part. It's like a Fender Rhodes. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Rhodes, but it was like I was playing it on a shitty keyboard. It was just like, you know, the setup that you bring to the woods. That's what I captured and that's how it sounded. And so, you know, it's it doesn't have the quality of all the rest of the tracks that it didn't need to. By the time we get to that moment on the album, we need to take a breath. Like after all the things we felt, it's like, you know, so yeah, I appreciate you asking about that. And so I named it Gertrude to also be like, um, I'm gay, I'm queer. And so I wanted my niece to have like her first like queer education like right out the gate like so I named it Gertrude to kind of be silly and cheeky but then also to tie into the roses of rose well there, there's so much to unpack there um and we could go in a, a number of ways it, it's mm-hmm. interesting when you're talking so you know I'm 54 so I'm not a young cat and uh it just it's you know Minneapolis has always been known rightly or wrong as a very progressive city mm-hmm. um, way back to the days of Hubert Humphrey and, and all that stuff. Uh, but as you were saying, when you're, you're watering down your fence, this can happen anywhere at any time. Yeah. I mean, this whole country is this enormous tinderbox that, right. that can just flare up. You know, I remember the Los Angeles riots, you know, that was early nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly. That, I mean, it's been going on. I was born in 1968. You talk about a year that was, a tinderbox. 1968, yeah. the entire year was a tinderbox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my papa talks about that time a lot because he was in college. Right. And it's and, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, I, I mean, it just saddens me horribly. I mean, some ways we've gotten better, right? I mean, there's, but God, it just, it just, it feels like we're almost like Groundhog Day kind of thing where it's like we've kind of gotten better about things, but now just, it's, there's so much still under the surface. Well, I mean, those are the dynamics. I think those are the dynamics of an abusive relationship. When you like psychoanalyze it, part of the relationship began with, I just own you. Mm -hmm. I just own you. What happens to a society within these 400 years 
and it's like, you know, when I think about it in terms of like an abusive relationship, it's like someone who decides to only beat some of the kids in the house. And what is that when you have to witness the trauma of others? At some point, you yourself, if you care about those people, you're going to break. And that's what happened in Minneapolis. It was just like, you know, peak of the pandemic. And then a teenager captures on video a teenager, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Um, and there's some audacity to that, that he knew he was being filmed and he just kept going. He didn't even care. I mean, that's, I mean, it was always bad. They did these things, but it used to be kind of in the shadows, right. That they mm-hmm. could get away with it. And they'd write the police report later sure. saying something marketing. I mean, different. that's when the verdict came in um, mm-hmm. for his trial. At that time I was reading, I realized like I'd never read any Malcolm X and that I have this idea about him through American culture. The movie and, and that kind of yeah, stuff. Or? Yeah. And so I started reading his autobiography and it's so amazing. And he's so tender and you can see, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation, I know, too, and but, I, I, but you can see in his writing how he was becoming more akin to Buddhism and like there was a lot of changes that he was making in his personal life that didn't line up with his community. And like, but at the end of the day, America murdered him at the end of the day, America, like America responds by murdering black people. Uh, And anywho, I definitely don't want to go down too far on this path but it certainly has influenced my work you know it's I wrote golden pretty immediately like that song raged out of me like and it's not all rage and I am I appreciate the complexity with which I wrote that song which is like it's like teetering on swag and like bravado and it's like why have I got to be angry like I am like I love my body like I eat organic food I go to the beach with my friends but at any time I could be shot that is my daily reality and I'm also a musician (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like you know it's a simultaneous life for me yeah, and and we we'll get back specifically to music. You know, it's sure. interesting because um, I I listened to the album several times and I've read everything. I always read what people send to me, and um and I and I'll preface this with also one of my friends here in town is it's amazing singer um, Paula Saunders Lewis, and Paula's African American and she's just dying. She's wonderful, and we had this whole conversation like a week ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was I said, you know, in Kansas City, you talk about Kansas City. We have a long and noble history of, I mean, it's super segregated stuff. So I said to her, just kind of talking to her, and I said, you know, it seemed, and I'm 105 episodes into this podcast, Chastity. Sure. And I said, it seems to me that the music community is just as segregated as the city. That's what I, I see. And I said, but I don't know if I'm the person that should bring this up. I, you know, I'm a 54 year old 
heterosexual white guy that you know lives in the suburbs and Mary. I mean, I'm like the quintessential guy, right? That you've sure. that you were talking about. You've heard from people like me for 400 years. We we talked about, but she said, "No, Jamie, you should be the one because people will actually listen if you mm. say something. They discount us and they don't stuff." So that's when we kind of went down saying, yeah. "I was like, well, maybe we should explore it a little bit." Yeah, you know, and that is true. I think Paula's right on. I have a lot of close guy friends and that's like my bros, you know, and I'm really close to my brother and I sympathize with you men at how reality is changing for you. It's changing. It's like 6,000 years. Like we can document since like the fucking Roman empire, like the changes of political status for women. And you know what I mean? This is, but society has given you authority. You know, when a white man weeps, it has power. When a white man, you know, you think about the white men who write emotional songs and how popular they become. And if a woman writes a similar emotional song, it's like, whatever. Um, so that's just like given in society. And I agree with Paula, like, thank you for seeing that and recognizing that. Um, I think the entertainment industry hasn't really been as affected by these things that have popped up in um, like with actors and actresses and stuff. Like these women have been able to push back. They're making a lot of money. They're, they're seen in different ways that we are as musicians. I just have been thinking with regards to me too, with regards to like, you know, I'm going to fucking say this shit. I think St. Paul and the Broken Bones is like one of the laziest bands I've ever seen. When I first saw them, their suits were dirty and they just weren't tight. What I was comparing them to is what what they were trying to, what they put out in the world that they're reiterating, which is a very particular style. And when I talk to the black elders, when I see photos of the black elders, when they were in all their suits, matching colors, you don't come on stage dirty. James Brown fucking fired people. And so I just was like, cool, cool. Yeah, y'all are doing some cool music, but it's sloppy and you're sloppy. Like, and I don't know them as human beings. Like, I'm not trying to fix them into like, here's who these guys are. I'm just telling you, like, it's a motherfucking dime a dozen. Like, one of the things that I think should happen in the music entertainment industry, this is wild, Jamie, but bear with me. You're fine. The king needs to be removed from the throne. We need to, as a society, as an American society, acknowledge that the king of rock and roll died on the toilet. We also need to acknowledge... (laughs) Yeah, that motherfucking. Do, do you know the Living Color song? Well, Elvis no, but is dead? I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's the whole song is about that. Oh, well, I just was like, you mean to tell me this man who was doing other people's songs, you mean to tell me how many people don't know about Big Mama Thornton? Yeah, we need to take that man off the throne and put a, several more thrones up there and really give some honor to these people who have affected our American culture. Sure. No. And certainly Elvis is a product of amazing marketing. 
he definitely was talented. Clearly he was handsome, but I just, I just was thinking the other, I don't know if it was an interview I was doing the other day, but I was like, if the fucking music industry wants to change, then those who put the king on the throne need to like symbolically, I'm not talking about going to his mansion in Memphis, but I'm just saying symbolically, there should be some real structural changes. I've heard, I haven't read it, but I've heard from someone else that Jeff Tweedy has been trying to get other artists like himself to reallocate some of their royalties. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have, once again, so far, each thing we talk about, we could go on and on, but I don't need to, I've talked to elders about blue eyed soul and um, some of them were like, get over a baby. Like, <laughs> and you know, sometimes when I get mad at certain white artists who are just basically mimicking black folk and not even acknowledging the black folk and not even like showing respect to the form. And it's just like, you know, the thing about black people that I will argue to the bone is that we just constantly change culture. We constantly affect music culture globally. We fucking constantly change and affect music culture. Show us some goddamn respect. Everything we do, you want to do it like us. That's why like white singers who sing soulfully are so popular because you're doing something that we do easily. And maybe some people do it easily. And I I don't want to get in the tit for tat and like, but there's just some things where I'm like, we're a generous culture, even in midst of being constantly murdered. We still, you give us a motherfucking string on the side of a house, hello, Bo Diddley, and we'll just like create something that you all want to do. Yeah. You know, look at country music and how it's like sampling rap. It's like, y'all are... Yeah. Can you ever just create your own thing? Like, or do we just have to keep affecting culture for you and then you just follow us? But you follow us and mimic us and then rebuke us and don't allow us in these spaces to win these awards. Or pay I mean, you. I do think I do or pay. Right? Yeah. You know, my manager dealt with something the other day where, you know, he uh, he manages other acts in this band both of us are five piece bands. They wanted to pay the white group $7,000 and they offered to pay me $3,500 for the same, for the same concert. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's major disparities where it's not new to us. You know, it's like, we're going to get in our lane and like, grow and be successful and be have beautiful white folks in our life. And, um, you know, but I do get fascinated with these things and like, when will, when will some of the white men in power or with a voice like say, Hey, (laughs) Hey (laughs) y'all, uh, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious if that will happen. Um, 
you know, I think it's different in the entertainment industry because these people own um, these entities, these record labels, et cetera, which is much different from a network as in film and television. Mm -hmm. So I think accountability, you know, it's like, well, I own the company. I'm not going to step down as CEO or like, I think there's just like, it's hard to crack through. Um, I mean, unless you want to just like blast someone on the internet and hope that, but yeah. Well, like you said, we could talk about this. I mean, this, this is, this is, no, you're fine. This is the biggest thing that I, um, I, I really am trying to do is listen and, and honestly listen and keep my mouth shut and not try to pontificate and not try to weigh in. I'm just here to listen because I feel like I think, yeah, we haven't been listening for a long time. I will say I've always found it fascinating in a very awful way that uh, America is known for probably three things globally, maybe four. And music's number one. I mean, we're known around the world. And all that, what you said, all the musical stuff that has come out of this country, the 95% of it is because of the African-American component of it, whether it's blues, whether it's jazz, whether it's rock, whether it's soul, the list goes on and on. Um, and the only thing else is, is like basketball. Well, hello. And well, that's other, another thing with America is like the Beatles. Um, they acknowledged like we were listening to these blues dudes. Yeah. Rolling Stones. They're like, we were list like, or even like, you know, how um, Jimi Hendrix, like when he was finally just like seen as a brilliant person, it was by these white dudes over there. And still America couldn't say, yeah, we are proud of this. They had to go to England to get discovered. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> chess records, all these record labels. I, mean, I guess chess is still um, functioning, but just so many of those black record labels, America doesn't even appreciate us enough to keep them functioning. Yeah. You know, so those are the ways in which like it's such a systemic but the main thing of all that, Jamie, I think what the takeaway from this portion of the combo is the king died on the toilet. It is. Um, so, so, so <laughs> let's like remove, like, let's get some dignity back in. Uh... Well, you know, I live here in Kansas City and Big Joe Turner, <laughs> you could argue that Big Joe Turner was one of the absolute, I mean, I know, you know, Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Yeah, and all yeah. That, but, you know, Shake, Rattle and Roll was a huge deal. Oh. And. You know, he recorded it first, but nobody knows that because right. I think it was Bill Haley in the comments that covered it. And that's, you know, that was, you know, whitewash for lack of a better word. So it could be played on the radio. I mean, th- those yeah. are the kind of, you know, Pat Bone, Tutti Frutti. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just these horrible, it's awful things that have happened. Well, that's so. why it's like, hey, America, everyone else takes pride in us. When will you begin to take pride in us? Like the black people that are like you know, or or the black diaspora, African diaspora. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think about these things a lot and I try to not get obsessed because that's no way to live. Um, That's not, that's not peaceful thought to be like, it's not fair either Chastity, that you have to have these internal conversations constantly. And I can just blithely run through the world and it's not fair. You know, I was listening to the Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. and I maybe 
I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, but do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. He was doing an interview, I think, with Oprah, and she asked him, like, is there a time when you found yourself um, distraught, like when you found yourself, like, in midst of your practice, really hurting? And he said, when Martin Luther King was killed, it hurt him so bad. They had been developing a friendship. But what he said after that was, America created him and couldn't keep him safe. And that just like, you know, it's like, I don't even have any words for that. But I think that's like in the similar light of um, not just be taken seriously as artists and contributors to the art world, but like to show some love and pride um, would be great. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, your album delves into this quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's coming out on June 17th. So this is going to go up uh, two weeks before. Cool. And, great. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. I, I see your, your touring. I looked at your stuff. Like, so you said you, we started this, you had one day off. Uh, yeah. You're getting to sit at the table and eat a meal, which is, yeah. you know, a luxury that musicians a lot of times don't get on the road. Uh, but you're, you're starting. Where are you tomorrow? You're somewhere in Chicago. Tomorrow we're in um, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and then and then you're going over to Europe. So I'm always curious because I've, you know, I've been to Europe once and as a tourist. Uh, sure. What's it like as a musician? Are the crowds different? Do you do you notice anything differently about it? Are they or is it just the same? There's a couple different things that are different. One of the things that I think is unique to our job anyways is that when we when I arrive in a city and I we get to the venue and the people have gathered, I'm all of a sudden meeting the people that live there in a way that a tourist wouldn't. Like I'm all of a sudden getting access to like the local like where's this like if it's summertime I always ask a local like where do y'all go swim in here? Like is there a river or something or where's the local coffee shop? Like, um, so in that way, like, I feel like I get to know about a place and the people that live there in a unique way, because I've just shared something with them. And then after the show, they want to share with us. And so we end up, you know, just learning so much, sometimes unnecessary stuff, but it's so fascinating. I am like, endlessly fascinated with how people live the interviews I've had in Europe as it pertains to how people listen and and you know you're already kind of you're this kind of interviewer clearly but one thing that had happened is like a lot of times in America people are like what is it like to be a queer black woman and a musician go (laughs) I shouldn't laugh and and my experience in Europe is like people want to pick apart like the intricacies of the creation. Yeah. And it's then mu- if much I want more interesting, that's much, much more, interesting. more interesting. Like yeah. you want to talk about my mom and daddy and how they got a guitar. Like what it's just like, after all the things that we just said about race and identity in these conversations, I want to talk about the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the work, 
but I will say like Scotland, I've only been to Ireland once and it was for like 17 hours, but it was everything I, I'm half Irish, you know? So it's like, it was everything that I thought it would be. It was a ruckus. It was like, they were just overjoyed and people, I, my family, my grandpa's sister just over the last 20 years is like reconnected with our roots and anyway so I knew the county that I was from and then people are like welcome home welcome home like just all throughout the show um but aside from that I will say like um Scottish audiences will let you know if they don't like what's happening like they will shout at you they will correct you if you're like I have felt really accepted there um but it was like pretty like wow whereas one of the things I've learned is the distinctions in the UK a Scottish person is a Scottish person not a British person (laughs) and Welsh so you know I didn't know that when I first went there I was like oh it's the UK like what does that Mm. even mean um I'll never forget my first show in London. Um, The audience was so quiet, like so quiet. I played my last song. They clapped. And I went backstage and it just got really quiet. I was like setting up my merch or whatever. And someone from the audience came out and said, we're waiting on you to go back on. And I just was like, there was no indication that you all wanted to hear some more music. Like, how would I know? Like it was so silent and they were just like, well, we, I don't know. So that was like, there's a properness to British Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Sorry. They start a lot of their sentences with sorry, Chastity. Have you noticed Mm -hmm. that? Sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I haven't. But Next I'll time you're over there, that. let's just pay attention to it. Because it's one of those things, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. Da, 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 uh, da, da, da. Like, it's just, and yeah. it's just natural to them. Like, they're apologizing to you for nothing. But it's just yeah. kind of, it's just interesting. It's you know, it's, fa- it's fascinating. Totally. Um, so, you know, even though I've grown to have dear friends that live um, in London, the British are like, you know, some of these friends were, we've now been friends for eight years. And when I say, I love you, they don't say it. And I just, I'm, it's a unique, I think a pretty unique cultural thing. Like there's just intimacy is different for Very like yeah. the upright British. Very they much are so. just, yeah. And so, and then the other parts I've been, it is cool that sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, you speak Dutch, I speak English, but you still want to hear me sing. And we can't communicate any other way. And wow. Wow. Like, what a fucking privilege. So yeah, like, I've, I've, I've toured there a good, I, yeah, I guess the past eight years. And before the pandemic, it was like, maybe for sure once a year and sometimes six months, every six months I'd be there. And I'm still quite charmed by it, by it all. And the Scottish countryside is just like, that's my jam. It's the most gorgeous 
you, it's just like so breathtaking and you can drive. We had a gig in Glasgow and then a gig on the Isle of Wight. Mm-hmm. It was a 14 hour drive. We may be, it was like three or four hours at a time, like not passing even a village. And yeah. th- that to me is just epic, but no. yeah, I'm excited to go back. Um, Edinburgh is my favorite place. It's just, yeah. Oh, it's, totally. It's just, it's, you know, there's so much we could talk and I know we want to, I know, I know I'm running out of time. I know, but uh, the history part of it, I will just say about, it's so funny you say that because when I, I was in Scotland and the world cup was going on oh, and wow. there, so there's a couple and we're in, and we're in a pub and uh, we're American. So we don't really care, yeah. <laughs> but but the teams get really, really strong English guys and they're this real Scots though. They were rooting so hard against the English. It's like, it's the one thing that brings them all together, whether you're Irish or from India or from Wales or from, you know, Scotland, or if you're from Cornwall, they all hate the English because Mm -hmm. of what the English did for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. Even in 2020 or 2018 when I was there anyway. So I wish I could talk all day. Let's let, let me ask one last question. So I, I, I'm always jealous. So I'm a pretty good guitar player. I feel pretty comfortable, but, but I, I'm a kind of a, I don't know. I fart through piano. I'm not great. And bass. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm always so appreciative. You can play so much. And do you find that when you write music on different instruments, that it's, it's different from a chordal standpoint, does it matter to you? How does it, mm-hmm. for you, what's your approach to it? Um, I've always written on piano. And when I think about the scale of a guitar, I see the black and white keys, but I never felt confident playing the piano live. Like coming back from the pandemic, this is my first time. Like I would maybe play a song as like a special thing in a show, but certainly not the way I'm doing it now but they're two different they're so different for me i feel confident as a rhythm player on the guitar but gosh darn i can i i've known only the same chords that i know you know like maybe i'll introduce a new chord but it will take forever to like you know i'm just not confident or nor nor even have the knowledge but with piano, I just feel like, well, first of all, it's just reverberating. And so the sound is, as a vocalist, it's so amazing to sing on, like, to sing within this presence that's, like, mm. really coming around me and through me. And I just feel like I can be, I can noodle a little bit more. Like, not like, not, like, I have a great band because... I don't want to think about all those like cool, fancy things. And, but as a songwriter, you know, like I love David Gray. Oh yeah. And I realize like, Oh, he's not doing anything fancy. And yet when I hear him play the piano, I'm like, Oh my God. So I really had to get up the confidence to just trust how I play the piano and know that no one's going to hire me to play the piano in their band but I can play it to my own song. And it's, it really, I just got really bored with the guitar. Like this past, these past couple years, I was like, I just feel limited. 
Yeah, um, because you've got several octaves on a piano and, and the mm-hmm. coloring, you know, the colors you can play on a piano keyboard with yeah. the chord, with the chords is much more rich than even a totally. jazz And the polyrhythms, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I can play part of a bass line and the kick drum part up here and part of the melody up here and then put my vocal in it. Yep. And the way I hear that in my mind is three sounds. And so when you think about the reason why I feel good about just playing with my drummer is because c- I cre- I think of things, every individual thing as a potential bandmate, you know, like, or as a potential new sound. Mm-hmm. And so I try to build a show in that way. Like, if you don't bring in the hi-hat until halfway through the song, that becomes a moment. Like, you know, and so how can you pick apart things so that so it makes so it creates dynamics yeah um and i'm having a lot of fun in this context like i just i feel more free at the concerts because i can just switch from instrument to instrument and you know i've always been my first instrument was saxophone and tenor alto um, alto okay um and i just the the thing about playing so many instruments is like, I went to a gospel church. I grew up with a father who played. And so they were available to me. Like my sister is a classically trained pianist. I could not take lessons. I like, I, I didn't have the patience. I like ADD, but I would listen to her practice all the time. And she would show me one chord. And at age nine, when you learn one chord, it's like, oh my God, you know? So it's like part of the shaping of how I've learned has been through um, people around me. And then, yeah. And now as a songwriter, I'm playing all the instruments even more because it has freed up my writing. I think a drummer is the coolest member in the band. I just, I just can't help it. I'm such a sucker for a drummer. I'm like, wow. And so I just realized like, oh, well, what if I got a drum set to write with and create a beat? Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people will create beats like this and I do a little bit, but it's a lot of fun when you can be like, oh shit, if I can play this for 30 seconds, I might be able to write to this. And so, so yeah, so now I'm just like, you know, that's like a whole different avenue for you yeah. right? from a creative process. This is a whole nother language, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, get and your, then it, you get your Spanish, your French, and now the drum is Mandarin Chinese or whatever you, whatever sure. analogy we want to make. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. It feels like following a rabbit down a rabbit hole when I go into my writing space. It does feel really great that I can play so many instruments because I'm so subject to my mood. It's like you just want to go pound the hell out of something. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you like. <laughs> I just, oh no, oh no, you know. Um, uh, but well, those, I, I will say, as far as it pertains to my record, is that like um, the pandemic made it necessary for me to learn how to do production, for yeah. me to learn to at least have a great vocal recording set up to send to it. Like we were working via zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it just like I couldn't really rely on other like I mean I could but I'm not very patient so <laughs> I started like practicing again at all these different things so I could just give myself some more recording independence you know and then I ended up creating and actually creating production and arrangement that I would normally had other people do and I'm like oh I can't play that guitar part in one take but four takes and I combine them I sound like a guitarist like (laughs) you know and so yeah thanks for asking about that um well I'm just a little jealous I'll be honest hmm. I guess I need to, I've got to get rid of the day job though. That's the issue. You know, I have, you know, I have a day job that pays the bills. Yeah. It lets me live comfortably. Uh, yeah. I, I've been around musicians you my know, whole the, life. So totally, totally. And I've gotten to a place where this, like I was telling someone earlier, I've worked since I was 14. And as I was saying, you know, about the landscaping, like, First, it was like five days a week at my job, and then I'd play on the weekends. And then after a couple years of that, it was four days a week, and I would play Friday through Sunday. And then I finally, in the you know, over the span of like, I don't know, four or five years, I came down to where I was only working two days a week for someone else. And then I made the jump, and I own a home. I have a classic car. I live a great life. Like, um, but it was, I didn't like just say, let me do this and it's going to magically happen. I like, yeah, I believe in working. No, you have to (laughs) have work. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, and so I push back anytime someone's like, I mean, Lord knows I'm not rolling in the dough, but it's like, it, it feels tremendous to have gotten to a place where I am right now. It's, it's very cool to meet you. I hope you come here. Uh, have a great time in Europe. If you, if you, if you're in Edinburgh, let me know. Cause there's a couple pubs I'll tell you to go to. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm 40% Scottish. So it was like a, what you had in Ireland. That's what I yeah. had in Scotland. It was yeah. very cool. It was very yeah. cool. Uh, well, awesome. you'd be, you'd be safe and, and okay. enjoy the tour. Love the uh, album and take care of yourself. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. See ya. Hey, by my side. It pulled me from a dark, cold place in my mind. Chastity Brown, everybody. Again, the new album is called Sing to the Walls. It is coming out on Friday, June 17th, so just in a few weeks. As you can hear in the background, she's phenomenal, and this album is really good. So, down in the show notes how to follow her, how to buy it, go support her. And I, I, like I said on the open, I really appreciate the honesty. We improve as Americans when we're honest about things and accept reality. So there's that. So that's going to do it for today. But one week from today, I had the amazing Sherry Chung dial in from Los Angeles. Sherry is being next week is going to actually have She Rocks at NAM at the NAM show. She is being honored along with people like Dion Warwick. She is a phenomenal soundtrack composer. She writes all these amazing soundtracks that you hear when you watch TV and movies. 
Um, she was super, super fun, incredibly talented, and, and was very giving of her time. So that is one week from today. Until then, you know, I always say go out and support live music. You know what? Go out and support live music. Also be kind to each other. Kindness never goes out of style. One week from today, I'll talk to you then. Be careful, people. Bye-bye. And I would wait for the sun.